indeed the everlasting God. God, you change not. You're, you're immutable, you're faithful, you're good. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship your name, Lord. And God, as we focus our attention on the word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. You've got eternal truth that you want to communicate to us. It's, it's eternal and yet pertinent to our lives today, right now, in this moment. So, Lord, I pray that we would, uh, that myself included, that we'd just be open and available to your truth, Lord God, that it would encourage us and build us up and challenge us where we need to be challenged, Lord God, that it would just be strong truth for us today, encouraging and gracious truth for us today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn around and greet somebody that you've never, ever met before. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks. See you next round. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Love you, buddy. Yeah, I know. I, know. I, I wasn't sure if I was ready. Hebrews chapter 2, somebody told me that I should tell the Hebrews joke about how, you know, the Bible tells us that it's the men's job to make coffee because of the book of Hebrews, but I said, I'm not going to tell that joke, I'm just not going to do it for this response right here, because it's just not as funny as it used to be. So I'm not going to tell you the Hebrews joke. We're going to skip that altogether. Amen. Hey, we are in Hebrews chapter 2, though. Somebody even said you should say Hebrews too much coffee because you're in Hebrews 2. And I said, no, I'm not going to tell that joke. I'm not going to go that, I'm not going to go down that road. So I'm not going to talk about coffee and that sort of thing today. We're going to be talking about, in fact, we've titled the message, A Warning Against Drifting Away, a warning about against drifting away. For thousands of years, it's been a temptation of the followers of God to drift in their faith, to drift in their conviction, to drift as followers and become more and more like the world instead of like sanctification is supposed to do. It's supposed to, we're supposed to become more and more like Christ and less and less like our old man, less and less like the world. I was in Hawaii about 10, maybe 15, 12 years ago, something like that, and um, flew in for a pastor's conference, and I knew it was just going to be a crazy busy week, and so if I was going to get into the water, I knew that I needed to get in the water right away, so I get to the hotel, unpack stuff, go down to the beach and rent a board, and um, I go out surfing, and um, I'm out there for probably, I don't know, maybe a couple hours, something like that, and it's time to come in, and I, I come into the shore from the water, I'm like, where am I? I? I was looking for the place to return my board, but it was nowhere, nowhere in sight. And so I'm asking, hey, where do I return my surfboard? And they're looking, all the boards are kind of marked <clears throat> with stickers or colors or something like that. So they can, you can identify where you return it. There's a lot of places to rent boards down there. So I, uh, 
I finally find out, and they say, hey, you're about a mile up the beach. You gotta, <laughs> you've, you've drifted, and you didn't realize, but you gotta, you got to take that board about a mile up the beach. And somebody re- recommended that I get back in the water and paddle over, but for whatever reason, I decided just to walk it over. And, uh, but it, it's interesting. That's how life is. If we don't have a point of reference, like for me, I should have kept an eye on a point of reference so that I didn't drift. But I didn't do that. I just got out there and I just was having fun. And I drifted and didn't even realize it. So the same is true for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We actually have to have a point of reference so that we don't spiritually drift and get off target and forget who we are and forget what we believe and forget what God has called us to in this life. And so for us, the Bible is our reference point. It it continually brings us back to truth. And so if you're struggling with um, something that you've heard about God or about the Bible, just go back to the Bible and read for yourself what the scripture says. And I I find that to be extremely helpful. It clears up uh, kind of misunderstandings or the false conclusions that, uh, that one might arrive at by just listening to someone else teach or listening to the culture. Um, I was listening to an interview by Oprah Winfrey recently, and, um, she said that she was a Christian But then she went on to define what it means for her to be a Christian. And she said, it means for me to be tolerant and loving and to be like a a warm light or something like that. You know, nothing about Jesus. (laughs) So Oprah's Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus. And I'm, I'm afraid if we don't make the Bible our reference point, then our Christianity will become anything but what Jesus defines it to be, declares it to be. We need to make sure that the Bible, that the Spirit of God through the Word of God is defining our Christianity. Uh, She went on to say that uh, I'm a Christian. If you want to become a Christian, I can show you how to do that. But she said, I I respect all religions. And um, again, just sending a totally confusing message to her audience about what Christianity is all about. There's a drift in the culture where we are redefining terms that we've always understood to be the truth. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Culturally, what, there's, there's a thousand things that we're trying to redefine. In, in progressive Christianity, they're redefining Jesus and, and the way to, way to, to salvation. They're, they're saying now progressive Christians are, are saying now that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. That he's not the way, in spite of what the scripture says, that he's not the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. They're saying that there's, in fact, they they would say, progressive Christians would say that we're all little gods. And you don't have to go far to find this type of teaching. That there are many ways to heaven, that we're all little gods, and that we're kind of the master of our own universe, sort of understanding and teaching. It's crazy because these these are people who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians, but their message about Christ is completely convoluted and contrary to the truth of what the Bible says. So we have to be careful that we're returning to our source of reference, the Bible, the eternal, living, God-breathed Word of God to understand what we are, who we are in Christ and what we 
believe. We, we have to keep coming back to this source and this resource. Hebrews 2.1 in the New Living Translation says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may, or we may drift away from it. So the, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jewish people who have trusted Jesus, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's challenging them to pay close attention, careful attention to the truth that they had heard. What was the truth that they heard? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. That was the gospel. The, the truth was they heard, they heard that they, they were our sinners, and apart from God's grace, there is no hope for eternal life. There's no hope to going to the Father. They heard it, and they, they, they believed it, and they received it, and they began to walk in it. But then something happened. Uh, something began to cause their faith to wane and change and shift, and they began to drift. And they didn't really even realize that they were drifting, but over time they had drifted, much like... Uh, on the, in the, in the water, I, I, I drifted a, a mile, had no idea, no idea, no point of reference, no idea that I had drifted. So if we don't have a point of reference in the word of God, then we will drift and we will become more and more like our culture, thinking more and more like our culture, believing more and more like our culture and reject the gospel truth, the truth of the word of God. So how do we avoid drifting spiritually? Number one, we must listen carefully to the truth. So this is, this is why we always say, open up your Bible every day. Like, read your Bible every day. If you don't, you will subtly drift in your perspectives, your understandings, your convictions will change. Your life will no longer line up with the Word of God if you don't make it your effort and your goal to open up the Scripture on a regular basis. I just finished up nine months in what we call the journey. It's a nine-month discipleship process where about 10 of us went through this nine-month journey. And uh, we had our uh, commencement yesterday. We didn't call it a graduation because a commencement is actually uh, declares that, hey, I'm not done. I'm actually just finished with this, but I'm moving forward. I'm, I'm continuing on in my journey as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't call it graduation because on this side of heaven, we're never done <laughs> pursuing truth and opening up the scripture and praying for clarity and wisdom that we might serve Jesus. If we don't do these things, we will subtly drift. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling spiritually, the last thing I want to do is open up the Bible. It's like, Nothing in me wants to open up the Bible. I just want to kind of be in my own little pity party and feel sorry for myself and be angry or be whatever it is that I'm deal dealing with or going through. But as soon as I avail myself to the Word of God, I soften. I get tender. I get broken. I get contrite. I, 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 I'm reminded of God's faithfulness, of His goodness. And, and my heart is drawn back to him. And so this is why the enemy of our souls, his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to distract us from the word of God, the truth of God, because he knows that it will build you up in your most holy faith. It will restore to you joy and peace, clarity, direction, 
vision, wisdom, all of those things. So how do we avoid drifting spiritually? We, we have to listen carefully to the truth. So if we go back thousands of years, this has always been the case with the followers of God. They've always had this temptation to drift, to just slowly but surely drift away from the reality of the truth of the good news of the gospel. Listen carefully to the truth. Hebrews 2.2 says, For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. Talking about when angels on Mount Sinai gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. This is what he's referencing here. So we're going back thousands of years to 1500 B.C., when Moses received the commandments, he said, for the message God delivered, so the, the, the Ten Commandments through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So let me kind of give you some backstory here as we listen to Stephen, who is about to get martyred in Acts chapter 7. He's giving his defense to the Jewish council. He's talking about the history of the people of God and explaining to them what they've gone through and how they ended up here. Acts 7, 38 through 43, it says, Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there, there, Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. So again, Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments were given The angel of the Lord spoke it, communicated it, and this is what their response was. Verse 39, but our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. So they've been delivered. They're on their way to the promised land, and they're refusing to listen. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt, right? Egypt represents our old man, our old way of living, our old life, and we're we're tempted for... everybody throughout history were tempted on some level to go back to our old way of living, our Egypt. And that's exactly what was happening with the people of God. They wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. For we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. The foolishness of man thinks we can erect something, uh, something of our own design, and worship it, and allow it to be the focal point of our lives. And that's honestly what a lot of us do in this Western culture. We build a life for ourselves, erect monuments to the things that we accomplish in this life, Removing Jesus from the throne of our lives and from the, the, center, the central point of our hearts and, and lives, and we instead replace him with things that we declare by our actions are more important to us than Jesus. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. I'm, I'm sure none of you have made an idol shaped like a calf offered sacrifices to it. I'm sure none of you have done that. But what kind of idols have we created? Have we erected in our lives? What kind of idols, whether it be uh, things or people or relationships, what kind of uh, experiences? It can be a host of things. What have we erected as idols in our lives? 
we're, we're guilty often of the same things that people have been guilty of for thousands of years. Verse 42, then God turned away from them and ab abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. In the book of the prophets, it's written, was it, was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? Was it to me that you were bringing those? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of your god, Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far, as way, as far away as Babylon. So we, we see that God judged the disobedience, the, the drift. Last week, last week we talked about not giving up in our faith as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This week we're talking about not drifting, not fading away, following, following away from the plans and purposes of God. So this has been going on from the beginning, from the garden until today. For thousands of years, people have been drifting so we just read about Moses and the people in the wilderness and their idolatry. So 1,500 years later, back to Hebrews chapter 2, it's interesting that we're, we just read about something that happened 1,500 B.C., and now we're talking about reading about something that happened um, in the, uh, just after the time of Christ, and, and we're, we're here now uh, 2,000 years after the, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so human nature hasn't changed much in thousands of years. Back to Hebrews 2, so verse 3, what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself? So we're not talking about a message that was communicated from the angels to Moses, to the people. We're talking about a message now that was communicated through the Son of God, the, the, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. He has come in the flesh to bring us the gospel message, the new covenant by which we are saved and, and, and understand God through this new covenant. So what makes us think if we can, that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? So the first, first disciples, the first followers, the first generation of believers heard the message directly from Jesus' lips. They watched his life and ministry. They watched him be crucified, buried, and then resurrected. And now they're proclaiming that truth, second generation to the next generation. They're proclaiming that truth. What makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. And God confirmed this message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So he didn't just bring the message, but he confirmed it with signs and miracles and wonders. He, he healed people, resurrected people from the dead. He ministered life and grace, causing people to be delivered from demonic oppression and possession. He did wonderful and supernatural things. And the truth is that God continues to do those wonderful and supernatural things. I was just talking to a, a gal this morning who, uh, she, was, uh, she broke her pelvis. About a year ago, she stepped off a train, broke her pelvis, and she was in a deep, deep, uh, just a bunch of pain. And she just, she just prayed one day. She just said, Lord, I need you to heal me. And she just felt this warmth over her pelvis and it just, she was healed in a moment. 
God is still working supernaturally. So if God chooses to work supernaturally in your life to bring you to a place of healing, great. But if it's not, just the fact that you have turned your attention to him and recognize your need for him is the greatest miracle of all. Salvation is the greatest miracle of all. And when God fills us with the the readiness to receive him and walk after him, there's a, a miracle that is unfolding right before our eyes. And so Jesus preaches his message People hear it, and then they proclaim that message to the next generation. They, they talk about the signs and wonders and the wonderful, miraculous things that happen as the Spirit gave the ability. They're saying, listen, this is not something we have made up. This is truth that you believe because you saw the miracle-working hand of God in, in Jesus' life. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So how do we avoid drifting spiritually? Number one, we must listen carefully to the truth. Number two, don't ignore your great salvation. Don't ignore your great salvation. This is what these people were doing. They were ignoring what God had done for them. Even though they had received it at one point, they were now ignoring it. Going on as if nothing had happened, living as if their lives had not experienced the living God, going on as if they had never been forgiven of their sin. Don't ignore your great salvation, the writer is saying. This salvation was made possible through a great sacrifice. Jesus himself, God himself, saw your need, your need, every one of our need, he saw our need and made himself the sacrifice for your salvation. Yet many, many ignore it. We've lost our first love. Maybe we got saved a year ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago. And we've lost, we've drifted. We're, we don't feel convicted about sin any longer. We don't feel uh, the, the call to share that gospel message with others. We don't feel uh, the the call and the responsibility to pray for people, encourage people, and speak life and truth into people's lives as we're filled with the Spirit of God. Out of the overflow of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a hard enough time just making it to church on Sunday. Uh, Don't ask me to read my Bible every day because I can't do it. I don't have time to do it. Don't ask me to serve somewhere because I don't have time to do it. I'm busy with everything else. Busy with everything else. And so we ignore, essentially, we ignore what Jesus has done. We've said, with that It's like old news. It's like that happened last year or last decade or that happened when I was a child and we ignore it like it never happened at all. We take it for granted. We live as though nothing happened. Imagine being saved from a drowning scenario. I remember when I was a kid, I was in the ocean and I paddled, or not paddled out, but swam out or got pulled out. And I was clinging to a a, a pure piling. I was clinging for my life. I, the water, the waves were coming up over my head, and they'd go back down. I'd yell, "Help!" Water would come back up, cover my head. Water would go back down. I'm yelling, "Help!" I'm just this little kid out there, and I'm going to die if somebody doesn't rescue me. And this lifeguard grabs me, throws me on his board, and paddles me in. Saved my life. Imagine hanging from a cliff and someone saves you by lifting you out of that predicament. Those stories aren't even good examples 
of what Jesus has done. They're just not good examples. They, they, they barely scratch the surface of what Jesus has done. No, no, imagine what Jesus has saved you from by his grace, because he is good, not because you are good. Imagine no light, complete darkness. Imagine no hope, only desperation. Imagine intense heat and constant thirst. Imagine you have nothing at all to quench your thirst, nothing at all to ease your suffering, no opportunity to make things better, no comfort, no joy, no companionship, no end to your agony, no end to your anguish, no end to your torment. Imagine weeping and gnashing of teeth. Imagine the eternal smell of sulfur, burning sulfur in dark, thick smoke that barely allows you to take a breath. Imagine total devastation, complete fatigue throughout your whole body with no remedy, no help in sight. The penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. It's separation from all that is pure and right and holy. It's separation from every good and perfect gift that God has poured out upon us. It's separation. It's devastation. It's spiritual death. But, but, thank God, the free, free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to save us from eternal destruction that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Imagine Jesus, the only one with the power to save. The only one with the power to save is Jesus, and he sees our desperate need. Before the foundations of the world, he knows our desperate need, and his plan is to save us, to redeem us, not from a temporal death, like drowning or falling off a cliff, but from an eternal separation, spiritual death that offers only desperation and helplessness and loss and agony devastation. The only one who was able and was willing to take your place and pay the penalty of your sin was Jesus. Now, imagine your gratitude. Imagine now being refreshed in your soul, in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart of what Jesus has accomplished. We, we drift and we forget what what Jesus did for us, accomplishing salvation, extending grace and love to us. We forget and we minimize it and we forget about it and we drift from that reality. This is why we've got to open up the scripture, the pages of scripture um, every day, every day, so that we don't drift and 
take for granted and forget what he's done. Imagine your gratitude now. Imagine yourself ignoring what Jesus has done and going about your life as though nothing has happened. It's hard to fathom the condition of a heart of someone who just flat refuses to be grateful and to live differently. Hebrews 2, 5, and furthermore, it's not angels who will control the future world we're talking about. For in one place the scriptures say, and this is a quote from Psalm 8, 4 through 6, it says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. So initially the psalmist was speaking of Humans, humans in general, humans made in the image of God, the ideal human, but then sin in the world took over. And the writer of Hebrews applies this psalm to Jesus, as does the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul also applies this psalm to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 27, where it says God has put all things under his authority. Now when it says, verse 8, Hebrews 2, all things, it means means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. In the incarnation, Jesus humbled himself. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone that we all might come to faith in Jesus. If you confess confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you confess and believe and are baptized, you will be saved. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Verse 10, for God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. How can we ignore that great salvation? How do, how do we keep from drifting I mean, it's a, it's, it's a common thing to all believers. It's as easy as stepping off this stage. It's, it's just something that happens unless we're intentionally stopping the drift. How do we avoid drifting spiritually? Number one, we, we've got to listen very carefully to the truth. Number two, don't ignore this great salvation. And number three, remember your supernatural Adoption. You have been supernaturally, by God's grace, as righteousness has been imputed to us. That's a supernatural work of God, that imputation, that righteousness has been given to us. Jesus taking on the sin of the world so that righteousness might be imputed to us so that we might be adopted into his family. 
So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. We've literally been adopted. God, the heavenly father, is our father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters, for he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son in the incarnation also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, being fully God, becoming fully man, taking on the sin of the world, uh, the penalty of that sin, dying on the cross, going into the tomb, three days later, resurrecting from the dead. I mean, Jesus, this person that we celebrate coming up here in about five weeks at Christmas, it's, it's the, we're celebrating the incarnation, all that Jesus did as he came in the form of a baby, a child. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And yet we want to go back to Egypt, where we have been enslaved, or we have suffered in slavery spiritually, and in other ways we've suffered, and yet there's something about the drift, something about forgetting, something about uh, growing kind of cynical and cold in our heart that makes us to want to go back to that old way of living. We didn't get saved out of Egypt because Egypt was worth staying in. We got saved out of it because it was desperate and empty and there was no life there. Verse 16, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, you and me. Therefore, It was necessary for him to be made in every aspect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He's able to help us when we are being tested. We will be tested tested. I talked to a handful of people this week, and every one of them are going through some form of testing. Difficult times in their businesses and their family lives, spiritually speaking, difficult and desperate times. I had a conversation with a friend in between services, and just Monday, he lost his father. On Tuesday, he lost his uncle. uh, Two years ago, he lost his mother. There's just been blow after blow, hit after hit, difficulty after difficulty, testing after testing. And we could all tell our story about the difficulties of the last couple years. We can all talk about how difficult and hard our lives have been, but we need to understand that it's not God who's abandoning us in our time, but it's God who's reaching out to us in our time of need because he is able to help us and to strengthen us and to give us courage in our time of testing. Listen, things are not going to get easier as we move toward the second coming of Christ. Things are just not going to get easier. Uh, The days will get darker 
temptation will become worse. The culture will become more sinful, more dark, more antichrist. We will have to fight harder than we've ever fought, be more focused than we've ever been, stay in love with Jesus through the thick and thin, and not allow anything to cause us to give up or to drift from our faith. Because if we're drifting now, we're... When things get worse, we'll never have the stamina to endure and to continue to trust God. And so we're called to listen carefully to the truth of the Word of God, to not ignore our great salvation. This life is temporal. It's, it's, it's temporal, I shared last week that I keep hearing about friends of mine, people my age, younger and even older and younger, who have passed away. I just found out earlier this week that a friend of mine, 53 years old, passed away from a heart attack. So I asked my brother, did he know Jesus? And he said, no, he didn't know Jesus. So people are dying. And we have to tell them about Jesus. We have to tell them about Jesus. We have to live not forgetting truth, not forgetting what God has done for us, but remembering that we've been adopted, saved for such a time as this, to stand firm as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to not give up when things get difficult because things will continue to be difficult. As we try to stand for Jesus try to be salt and light in this life and in this earth, it will continue to be difficult. Listen to this story yesterday about a Muslim, Muslim young man who grew up his whole life Muslim, but he heard something about Jesus, and he was interested in Jesus. Uh, in the Muslim faith, Jesus is a prophet. He's nothing more than a prophet. But he, he, he was intrigued about this Jesus, and his friend invited him to a, uh, a meeting called a crusade. <laughs> and the Muslim said, you're, you're inviting me to something that is called a crusade? <laughs> you know your history, you know that's not a good thing. He said, oh, well, there's going to be free pizza. He said, okay, I like free pizza. So he went and got free pizza, and um, he heard the message about the Lord Jesus Christ and went home and read all through uh, he found a Bible. He had a Bible at the bottom of his uh, closet somewhere. He pulled it out and read the Gospel of Matthew, start to finish in one sitting. And he, he heard the Gospel. He read the Gospel. He responded to the Gospel. And he went to his dad, and he said, Hey, Dad, I, I'm a Christian. His dad said, No, you're not. You're a Muslim. You were born a Muslim. You'll always be a Muslim. You'll die a Muslim. He said, No, Dad, I'm a Christian. The Bible says that if I believe on Christ, that I'll be saved. And I've done that. I, I've given my life to Jesus. And he said, if you choose Jesus, I reject you as my son. And in that moment, he was rejected. He said, Dad, if I've got to choose between you and Jesus, I have to choose Jesus. And he's been rejected from his family ever since. There's a cost to following Jesus. It's not all kumbaya and rainbows and butterflies. It's, there's, there's a cost to it. 
Now, there's plenty of wonderful things that happen as we follow Jesus, but there's a cost, and that cost is going to increase over time. A warning against drifting away. Listen carefully to the truth of the Word of God. Don't ignore your great salvation. Remember your supernatural adoption. With that, I'm going to invite the team back up, and we're going to pray and worship and so go, let's go ahead and stand up. I'm just going to lead us in prayer as the team comes forward. Lord, thank you for the challenge that you've issued to us. And it's, it's the same challenge that you've been communicating to your people from the beginning. God, I pray that we would never give up. That we would not allow ourselves to drift in Jesus' name. God, I pray that we would stand firm when we're being tested and when difficult times are upon us, Lord God, financial, uh, relational, when there's death, when there's disappointment. Lord God, I pray that we would draw close to you. God, that we would find our greatest strength when we've got nothing left in the natural but have to rely completely on the supernatural goodness and power and presence of the living God. That in our weakness, your strength would be made perfect. And when there's no reason for joy, we'd be filled with joy. When there's no reason in the natural to have confidence in you, God, that we'd be loaded with confidence, believing, faith-filled, godly people who decide, no matter what the culture throws at us, no matter what life experiences we're walking through, God, we have decided to follow you. Whatever that means for us, Lord, help us to be willing to walk through that. God, thank you for truth. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for adoption. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.
faithfulness is walk beside.